This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who have differing thoughts about pizza. Brian's a bit more of an elitist than I, but we did learn on the last Patreon cast that we agree that nachos is the best hockey-eating snack. But anyway, I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot and pizza connoisseur, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I'm not elitist about my pizza view. To call pizza pizza pizza, there's a chain in Canada. It's called pizza pizza. So if you're talking about it, you need to say the same word three times. So I, my take was that pizza 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 is bad and is never, ever worth it. Even if you can get like, I don't know if that deal is still there for the medium pepperoni for $5.99. It's just not worth it. But give me a cheap slice any any day. I'm not saying I need to pay a lot to have a good pizza. I'm just saying I can't pay pizza pizza to get good pizza. I would if I could. <laughs> all right. Yeah. You say bad. I say good. You say uh, potato. You know, all of this. I say TJ Brody. You say Morgan Riley. Let's get in and talk about <laughs> hockey. Okay. So we've got a really fun show for you today. Uh, it's been a, we've, we've had a fun past few weeks, right? And we've done a bunch of episodes about a bunch of different things. Way back on episode 306, we broke down all of the trades and the UFA signings when finally the NHL did open up UFA and it was very exciting. We talked about like Taylor Hall and all of that. Then we got into prospects and we talked to Scouch and Victor Nuno about the about all the draft and like prospects and stuff. We got William Nadeau on to talk about goalie movement. Then we talked about league design in the last episode. But now here we are this week to go back, circle back to all of the UFA signings and trades that we didn't cover back on episode 306, because we got to, you know, tie a bow before we start officially getting into the preseason and talking about projections and stuff. First, we have to talk about all the movement in the league. That's the plan for today. I'm super excited for it. And Brian, I've got us a, a nice list of transactions to discuss. I am also excited. So let's stop talking about how excited we are and actually get to doing the thing we're excited to do. You say that every week. It's like, you didn't, you haven't talked yet. I just said, I'm excited. And then you're and I'm saying, like, I'm saying. excited too. <laughs> let's get to it. Let's get to work. Right. As, as Alex Trebek would say, let's get to work. 
Okay, let's get to work. Uh, so, but we can't, Brian. We have a few things to do first. Ugh. We have some housekeeping. So first See, of all... this is what I'm saying. Well, okay, so I'm sorry I said I was excited. Uh, I, I'm trying to build the vibe around the podcast, and hopefully the listeners will be uh, really raring to go when we get there. But first, a little detour, because we want to first mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is a very valuable detour to take, because that is the best fantasy hockey website in the world, and the purveyors of one of the longest-running hockey fantasy guides like ever like it's been going on forever and the new one is out for the 2020-21 season and you guys all know if you've ever bought the dauber guide before it's totally worth it because not only do you get this like full like guide like you know a pdf file writing up all the teams and all the players you also get the projections and everything's updating like he updates it like millions of times throughout the preseason as things happen as we learn things so you just keep re-downloading the projections and re-downloading the guide as things change so it's really worth it and there's a lot of great stuff in there so check it out at dauber hockey.com okay so that's number one number two brian is we've been coming up with projections on our own and i believe we talked about this on the last couple of shows but the patrons have been helping us we've been calling it the patron projection project or the ppp and every single day we've been putting up a new form of 10 players and the patrons have really come through and been projecting the players as we go we've already got a list of i think like 170 players that we've projected and we're, we're not planning to stop anytime soon and uh, we'll probably reference some of these projections on the show. You know, obviously, a lot of patrons disagree, but I think the mean of all the projections for all the players is going to compete with any projection out there, maybe even, dare I say, as good as Dauber's projections. That'll be fun to see at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, uh, we did make a promise to the patrons that we were going to have a draw on today's podcast of every single submission we've had so far is an entry into a raffle, and the winner is going to get a pizza. It could be pizza, pizza. It could be something better. It's up to you. Uh, we're going to ship it to your house or apartment. Uh, so, Brian, uh, are you ready for me to do that right now? I am so ready to do that and to calculate how likely it was that the winner was to win. Because we did this on our patron cast last week. And what was it? The 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 person who went, Andreas, out in Norway. So we got to find a Norwegian pizza place. One with like a six in 1,000 chance to win. So we'll see if, if it's so rare, if it's someone who's who's made uh, enough more contributions to the project to raise their odds of winning. Yeah. So right now, at this point, there are uh, 17 maximum submissions you could have had. There's been 17 days so far. And we have in total 415 submissions. So okay. Okay, so he, that's what's going on, and I'm putting all of the names right now into a list randomizer. I'm going to click the button right now, randomize, and the winner is Adam. Adam Camp. You are the... You know what? So I randomized the list of, like, all of the people, and every single submission was in that list, including, like, multiples for people who've done it multiple times. Adam had number one and number two, so I don't know what the odds were of that, <laughs> but... Uh, How many entries did Adam... Has Adam contributed? Well, at least two... Okay, good question. I, I'm doing some research here on the... Uh, Adam Camp has uh, 17. He's done all 17. So this oh, is a okay. worthy so winner he, right here. He had the maximum, uh, the maximum chance possible to win, which was actually still just about 4%. So way to go, Adam. We will get that pizza on your way to you. We'll, we'll be in touch. We'll find yes. a way to get in touch. And uh, maybe you, we can treat you to something better than Pizza Pizza. Unless you... If you like Pizza Pizza, I will respect that. 
No, you won't. You're gonna I be. Will. You'll be DMing me on the side, like, check out this guy asking no. for pizza. Pizza. No, I'll appreciate it. it because they're also like the cheapest pizza. So thanks for saving us a couple bucks. Well, who knows? Maybe he wants like ten toppings on there. But anyway, congrats, Adam. This, this is like the, what the Detroit Red Wings should have been, right? They had the best chance to win, and they didn't even get a top three pick uh but adam gets the pizza so congrats and with that brian i'm ready to get into our show content just kidding psych just kidding one other quick thing i want to mention is that the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league we're gonna start it soon i mean the season has to start but assuming the season starts on january 1st or or sometime around there we're gonna be starting our league we talked all about it on the last episode if you didn't hear it uh go back and listen it was a really fun show uh the deadline to sign up is like approaching right we're thinking like the first week of december and also uh right at December 1st is going to be our deadline to convert to being a $5 patron of the podcast to get all the perks, including the cupful. So if you've been uh, taking advantage of our summer uh, what, what do we call it? Like a it's summer the promotion? Off, the off-season special. Yeah, if you've been uh, enjoying our perks for any amount, we really appreciate you doing that. Uh, but yeah, come on back to $5. We're going to give you a ton of content to make it worth your while and a ton of perks, including entry in the cupful. And if you played last year, and so you think, I don't have to sign up, I played last year. Yeah, you still have to sign up. So, uh, you know, get in touch if you don't know how, even, and we'll help you. Even I sign up for the cupful. Nobody escapes registration for the cupful if you want to get in. So I've done it. Have you? <laughs> okay, so now with that, Brian, I am ready. Okay, so just to quickly recap, uh, here's the player movement we've done so far. And again, so go back to episode 306 if you're like a new listener and you missed it. We talked about Hall to Buffalo. We talked about Barry, Pugliarvi, Tourist, Ennis to Edmonton, Brody, Spezza, Simmons to the Leafs, Andreas Janssen to New Jersey, Saad to Colorado, Justin Schultz to Washington, Matheson to Pittsburgh, Hornquist and Wenberg to Florida, Domi and Koivu to Columbus, Josh Anderson to Montreal, and Krug to St. Louis. Uh, I just want, was looking through that list because I wanted to remind myself what we talked about so I knew what else we would have to talk about today i the one thing i wanted to throw out there i don't think i mentioned it on that episode patrick hornfist could be a really good sleeper pick in my opinion for next year he's probably going to fall in drafts because he had a really disappointing year last year this guy could be on a line with barkov and he's great for shots and he's great for hits he might get more ice time than he was getting in pittsburgh just because the depth in florida isn't good so yeah i, don't, I just did a mock draft with some patrons yesterday and i got i grabbed hornfist in the very last round and uh yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about Hornquist, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I really like your optimism for Hornquist, and he is a name that like we shouldn't forget just because he had a garbage season last year where, I mean, he continued to get buried in terms of deployment in Pittsburgh, but he actually, like his points per 60 rates uh, at even strength were actually pretty decent, like up there with, actually, I'm, I'm looking now, it was the second best points per 60 rate of his career at five on five. So uh, like the five on five scoring is there. It seems like he should be on the top unit. I guess the the flip side of the coin to he could be playing with Barkov is that he, uh, if not playing with Barkov, he will play with Noel Achari, Alexander Wenberg, or Carter Verhaeg. If I looked at the next three centers on the Florida depth chart. So uh, it's kind of Barkov or bust. And I'm not sure. I mean, Hornquist, is a good player. Remember back in his Nashville days, like he was the team's best player and he was someone who you look to, to kind of do it all himself. I'm not sure if he's still got that in him, uh, but we're about to find out if he doesn't land on that top line. But I imagine he will the same way, like he just steps into Dadanov's spot. That seems, that seems obvious. Yeah, you'd think so. And yeah, obviously I'm saying pick him as like a low risk pick where you could always drop him if it doesn't work out, but could be a guy with a high ceiling. Hey, uh, Yarmir Yager had that resurgence in Florida that his final really good year was playing with Barkov. So if Yager can do it like at a much older age, I don't see why Hornquist can't, even though I guess Yager's a much better player. With Bar- but Hornquist- you're just <laughs> playing with Barkov. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah. so I, okay. yeah, I'm just saying that like it's, it could be a good situation for Hogwarts. We're, we're in agreement. Okay, I'm just excited, Brian. I'm seeing in the chat here that OK is saying, can't wait to hear you guys talk about how the Habs had the best offseason and how Toffoli and Anderson are both scoring 50 goals next year. Well, we'll talk about some of that. But yeah, let's talk about the Habs because we talked about Josh Anderson on the last episode when he got traded for Max Domi. But we hadn't yet learned that Tyler Toffoli signed with the Montreal Canadiens for a four-year, $4.25 million per year AAV. And Toffoli, yeah, he joins Josh Anderson and Joel Edmondson and Jake Allen as new additions to the team. Habs also re-signed Brendan Gallagher to a six-year, $6.5 million contract. They also extended Jake Allen to an extra two years at $2.875 million. Also, like, coming up next year could be Cole Caulfield. Also, Kakaniemi and Suzuki could be better. So I think, like, the Habs might have just had one of the best off-seasons. It might be one of the most improved teams going into next year. And for sure, Tyler Toffoli is going to be a big part of that because he really uh, woke up last year. Like, he had that big breakout way back in 2015-16 with LA where he had 31 goals and 58 points. We were like, oh, watch out for Toffoli. We also loved his shot totals. I remember you and I were big on Toffoli in fantasy that year. After that, he never broke the 50-point barrier again. He was putting up a decent enough but not spectacular 48-point pace on LA this past season before getting moved to Vancouver at the deadline. And we all know what happened after that, right? Like, he went right to the top line and top power play with Elias Pettersson. He had 10 points in 10 games. Unfortunately, the playoff run was disrupted by an injury, but just like Tyler Toffoli burst back onto the scene. Now he goes to Montreal as a 28-year-old where I'd imagine his line that he'll play on, like, he'll play with some decent players. Like, probably not as good as who we got in Vancouver. Like, Montreal does not have an Elias Pettersson. But Montreal does have, like, a super deep top nine. Like, I looked at an article by Ryan Sporer uh, projecting a lineup for the Habs over on the Hockey Writers. So who knows? It's just a projection. But, like, he put in uh, Tatar with Suzuki and Gallagher, Druan with Deneau and Anderson, and that would leave Toffoli with Kakaniemi and Lekkonen, which isn't great. Not terrible for Toffoli specifically. I'd also expect the Habs to split their two power plays evenly again with all this forward depth and you could have Weber and Petrie each QBing a unit. So all of that said, Brian, what do you think are like the best and worst cases for Toffoli lineup wise? And like what kind of ceiling and floor should we be expecting from him? Like are we assuming he's for sure going to be better than what we would have thought if he was still in LA? Or could it end up being like LA like if he ends up like on a third line? Yeah, so I think the thing to keep in mind about Toffoli is that he didn't change substantially as a player, when he moved from LA to Vancouver, he changed teams and that change of scenery made a big difference just in terms of who was around him rather than what it activated in him. There was another piece of variance. And I'm going to get to that. But just to clarify, like the, the most of the things within Tyler Toffoli's control stayed roughly the same between uh, LA and Vancouver. So if Toffoli's production is a product of the team he plays for, I'm looking at this year's Montreal squad. And I'm saying, okay, is that team closer to LA or is it closer to Vancouver? And the more I thought about it, the more I convinced myself that this Montreal Canadiens team has a lot in common with some of the best Los Angeles Kings teams that Toffoli has ever played for. Game-breaking goalie, check. Defensive-minded coach and Claude Julien, check. Compared to, uh, well, the goalie is Jonathan Quick. The coach is Daryl Sutter. Balanced top nine with a lot of role players, check. Even deployment, no superstars, Check. A top line that's not an offensive juggernaut, but gets some of the best shot attempt shares in the league. Also, 
Check. I feel like I said check way too many times there. But you see the point that I'm making is that there are a lot of lines I can draw between this year's iteration of the Canadians and uh, the 1516 version of the LA Kings. So I'm expecting Toffoli to do what he did for LA back then, uh, but for now for Montreal, which is hopefully land somewhere in the mid-50s. And what you really want to see Toffoli get into the mid-50 point range is 25 goals or so. And the way he's going to do that is by having a good season in shooting percentage. And we don't normally say, well, he just needs to have a good season in shooting percentage about a player because we're like, well, a shooting percentage is pretty stable. You can't like bump it up or like get a decrease. It's usually just like a, a variance random thing. But to fully shooting percentage over the years has never really been stable. I'm still actually not clear on what kind of shooter he is. He shot about 12.5% at even strength over his first three seasons in the league. Actually, that was all strengths. And then uh, to fully dropped to 10%, 10%, and 6% in the three years following those three years at 12.5%. And then last year, Toffoli bounces back up to 12%. So, uh, like, it's it's almost like this reminds me of Anders Lee, who's the guy I always bring up, who, whose shooting percentage just doesn't stay in the same neighborhood long enough for us to get a sense of how successful a shooter he really is. The good news for Toffoli is that his expected goals rates were at a career high last season, both in L.A., and Vancouver, which is why I'm hopeful that he really can hit that mid-50 point range, especially with having recently reactivated those sort of uh, long-latent offensive abilities. Also keep in mind that Toffoli has never been a big power play guy. So even if he's on the second unit, I still think, like, to me, that's not like, oh, no, there's no way he gets to 50. No, he's gotten to the neighborhood of 50 points from the second unit before. So I think he can break 50 and get towards 55, even if he's not getting PP1 deployment. I would, like, I would think his best case scenario is probably somewhere around 60 points. Worst case is he lands in the mid to high 40s again. So that's what I'm looking for from Toffoli. And to be honest, like you're asking me where in the lineup would be best for him to land. Um, I would say Wiscott Kaniemi is probably the least appealing place to me. Like I'd rather he be with Deneau, uh, who's like more super solid two ways, or Suzuki, who's got this up and coming uh, like panache that hopefully he'll show <laughs> off this year. That's the first time that word's been used on the podcast. And Kat Kaniemi is still, I think, finding his feet. So I'd rather to fully get to know where Suzuki rather than Kat Kaniemi. But either way, considering how horizontal the Habs top nine is, I'm not so sure there's a huge difference. Yeah. For what it's worth, Kakanyemi's apparently been doing well in Europe. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's in the best season. shape of his life too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, what you're saying is like definitely reasonable, a little disappointing, right? Like imagine if Toffoli would have re-signed in Vancouver. We'd be having a totally different conversation. I'd be asking, can he be a point per game guy again? Like he was in the Canucks at the end of the year, because that was just such a great situation. But it sounds like what you're saying is like, you're hoping for like maybe a little better than what he was doing in LA and six, 60-point ceiling. And you know what? The patrons agree with you. I'm looking at our PPP results. We had 19 projections. The mean is around 54-point projected for Toffoli, uh, somewhere between 45 and 60 as the min and max. So I guess if you say it and the patrons say it, I can't disagree. I will say, good for the Habs. Not that the best. Toffoli clearly didn't care about his uh, fantasy managers when he made this decision to sign in Montreal, because it doesn't sound like he'll have the upside there that he would have had in some other places. Yeah, it's unfortunate that there was this fantasy value to be had had he hung out in Vancouver. Fantasy value that might not be claimed by another player. It's just lost. We just can't get that fantasy value that he would have had playing on Pedersen's line. So uh, it is a bummer, but he's still in a better position in Montreal this year than he has been in LA for the past three. 
And, and hey, you know what? It's a bummer for Toffoli, but it's not a bummer for Brock Besser, who now gets to go back and play with Pedersen on the power play. So it's always uh, when a door closes, a window opens, or whatever that saying is. All right, so uh, next up, let's go to Ottawa. So in that episode 306, we definitely dug into Matt Murray going to the Sens, and I think we probably mentioned Good Branson offhandedly, whatever. Probably rolled our eyes at Good Branson. But it turned out Pierre Dorian wasn't done. Uh, and by the way, Brian, uh, as a side note, I did a mock draft with some patrons yesterday, like I mentioned, and I got Matt Murray as my third goalie, like super late in the draft. This was a couple scoring. So like we count uh, saves quite a bit, like more so than wins. I feel like that was kind of a still. Don't you think there's a decent possibility that Matt Murray can end up like leading the league in saves next year? Like I feel like of all of the goalies, like he's the one with the most unlimited leash. Like the Sens aren't planning on winning, so they don't care if they're losing games with Murray. Like they just paid him all this money not to make him a backup. I feel like he's just going to keep getting rolled out no matter what happens. The Sens are going to let in a ton of shots as long as Murray isn't terrible. I feel like you might. I think to me, he's the front runner for the league leader in saves next year. What do you think? Is that a hot take? Um, you'd have to, I, to me, no, I wonder if the, if the listeners think it's a hot take, I, you know, when you tell me that you think Murray is going to be one of the leaders in saves next season, I think about how, yeah, he's one of about 10 guys who could be tabbed as an old fashioned, straight up workhorse, number one goalie this season, the other names that come to mind in that category. And, you know, there used to be 25 of them, then there was 20, then there's 15. And now we're down to a group of 10. It's been this way for a couple of years, though. Um, the other guy guys I would name are Grice, Pabrowski, Price, Vasilevsky, Anderson, Hellebuck, Carter Hart, John Gibson, and Jacob Markstrom. Uh, in that group, uh, especially with Anders Nielsen continuing to suffer from post-concussion symptoms, I'd say Murray has a very good shot to finish top five in saves, especially when you consider the defensive strength of the team in front of him, which is more like defensive weak. Uh, he'll have his own health issues to to get past, of course. So this is hu- assuming Matt Murray can stay healthy. I give him probably even odds to be uh, tops in the league and saves along with, uh, I think I'd add Grice, Bobrovsky, Halibuck, and Gibson <laughs> as the other as the other key candidates to making the most saves this year. Yeah, I agree with you on all those names except for Grice, just because like I know you. It's it's well documented that you hate Jonathan oh Bernier. You think he's terrible. I think it's probably going to be closer to fifty fifty between Grice and Bernier. But I'm sure you True. think that Detroit's just going to like never play Bernier because he's the worst terrible goalie of all no, time. No, no, Ber- <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I won't I won't be triggered. I'm just going to say that Bernier had a pretty good season last year, uh, all things considered. And you're right, maybe I am uh, just sort of forgetting him a little more than I should be. So, okay, I will remove Grace from that list. And uh, then Murray has only Bobrovsky, Hellebuck, and Gibson to compete with for the top saves. Yeah, uh, like I think in previous years, like it's been guys like Carey Price and Devin Dubnik that have been amongst the top in that category. But, you know, now Price has Allen, as we've discussed, and Dubnik is... I'm not even a starter. I don't know. Maybe in Martin Jones. I mean, who knows? Martin Jones isn't great. So who knows what could happen in San Jose? I'll uh, also, anyway, yeah. <laughs> before you move on, I'll put it out there that like we might not see it's like depending on how the schedule is set, we might not see the same distribution of saves. Like even your number one, you might not have a goalie capable, depending on how compressed the schedule is, to take on that workhorse workload and play, you know, 70% of your team's games. It just might be a necessity. So being the top ranked saves goalie, there might be a smaller gap between that goalie and the rest of the pack than there have been in other years. Man, I just like, 
I, I would love to just learn what's going to happen already. Like, we're really living in limbo right here, not even knowing how the season's going to go. But anyways, okay, we're in Ottawa. So yeah, back to Ottawa's moves. They dipped into unrestricted free agency, and they signed Evgeny Dadanov to a three-year, $15 million deal. And then they also got Alex Galchenyuk on the cheap for a million for a year. Uh, so starting with Dadanov, he paced for 70-plus points in his first two years with the Panthers after coming from the KHL. Took a hit in his age 30 season last year, only putting up 47 points in 69 games. So that's a 56-point pace, which is solid, but obviously not 70-plus. Uh, you can't blame his deployment on that dip last season. He played the majority of the time with Barkov and Huberto even strength. He was on the top power play pretty much all the season. So before we look into Dadanov and Ottawa, is, is there anything in particular you could point to as to the cause of Dadanov's dip in production last year? Or are we just kind of looking at age-related like regression or maybe the Panthers just kind of stunk? Like, I'm just curious, like, what is the quality of this Dadanov coming to Ottawa? Is it a 70-point guy that just had a down year? Or is it someone who's on the downswing? I kind of feel like this is a similar answer to Toffoli, where um, the short answer is, if he was still in Florida, 70-point Dadanov, but he's in Ottawa, so uh, 70 points is going to be really hard to come by. You might need to add two or three different Senators' point totals together to get to 70 points. Uh, The reason why I still think Dadanov hasn't actually lost anything, if he was to stay in Florida, I would count on him for 70 points, was uh, to start with, he saw a minute less per game at five on five last season. But even accounting for that, he was still scoring at his lowest per 60 rate since uh, returning to North America. Now you're like, oh, that's bad. So he saw less time and he did less with it. Both those things are true, but the good news for Dadanov fans, and what I'm hanging my hat on here, is that I think this drop in scoring was caused largely, if not fully, by variants that I would consider random season to season. Things that weren't necessarily within Dadanov's control, things that uh, can really fluctuate year to year in the NHL for a skater, regardless of how well they play. Like, if you want to put this in more colloquial terms, this is a lot of bad bounces for Dadanov last year. And I'll tell you why. Um, The first reason why is not much seemed to change in Dadanov's efforts and his underlying numbers. They all pretty much stayed steady with the 70-point seasons. But his 5-on-5 IPP, which is a measure of how many goals you get a point on of the ones that are scored while you're on the ice, uh, generally for a forward, it's around 60%. Dadanov has been up around 70% for the last couple years, and his IPP dropped to 50%, which is really, really low for any forward. And I should probably clarify, like 65-ish is probably average for uh, many forwards and We've had this discussion before, but just to remind you, elite forwards can be up, you know, way above 70, even above 80%. So uh, one reason, Dadanov just not getting in on goals while they were scored while he was on the ice, um, probably in a random way. Also, Dadanov's shooting percent dropped to 9% after he shot roughly 13% over the two prior years. So uh, another thing that does sort of fluctuate randomly is shooting percentage and Dadanov had an off year there again from what I can tell by no fault of his own so that's why there's reason to hold out hope for Dadanov of course the bad news is that he's in Ottawa where his centerman will be uh, and I'm actually going to pause for a second just to let you the listener challenge yourself to think of who the possible centermen are for Dadanov in Ottawa Elon you can probably name at least one right Uh, I don't know Josh Norris uh, white, <laughs> yeah. Colin White, yeah, yeah. So Josh Norris, if he makes the team, uh, which he seems to have a half decent chance of doing, Colin Chris White is one. Chris Tierney, good. This is almost like the patron cast question where I asked you to name a Sharks defenseman outside of Burns, Carlson, and Vlasic. But this is even like a shallower pool to recognize. So you've got Colin White, Chris Tierney, 
Artemanisimov, Suitsley can play center, uh, and Logan Brown and Josh Norris is oh, yeah. guys who are fighting to make the team. So, um, yeah, that's like those are all to me in Ottawa. They're recognizable names, but to me as a fantasy player, I'm like, ah, uh, I don't really want my winger. Uh, like being with one of those guys as the best case scenario. Uh, it's certainly going to be the least impressive centerman that Dadanov has played with since rejoining the Panthers. And even that's still probably an understatement compared to what he got to play with in Barkov. So uh, 56 points was his total pace last year in Florida. I would have expected Dadanov to get back to 70, but in Ottawa, I actually think 56 points is a pretty decent spot to set expectations. Um, I also don't know how many senators can even reach 56 points this year. If anyone does it, though, Dadanov is on my list of sense who can do it. My very short list. I'd say uh, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat are the other two. But one of those three guys has a chance at breaking 55. So uh, I'm not excited about Dadanov. But if you are if you have to draft an Ottawa senator, he's one of the better ones. So it's interesting, Brian. If I recall correctly, when we did our hot takeoff right at the end of the season and you snuck in a hot take and I didn't know it was from you, they got really disappointed afterwards when it turned out I voted really highly because for the I one won. that you submitted. Yeah, I believe your hot take was you thought Brady Kachuk is going to score 40 goals next year. And if that happens, then that's a lot of assists for Dadnov, right? So maybe even though they don't have the best potential centerman for him next year, maybe Kachuk is just so good that, that that'll be enough. Right. So let's say Kachuk scores 40 goals, which... I definitely think is possible, if not this year, then before very long. It was a hot take. Um, Dadanov, say he gets 25 assists or 25-ish, he'd still need to get 25, 30 goals to get all the way up to 55 points. So okay, yeah. We'll, we'll think about it that way. It feels a little harder. But yeah, it would be great if he plays with Kachuk. Like, my, I have the same concern about Kachuk. Like, you need a solid, uh, like, top six centerman. And neither of the guys I ah. named have proven themselves. As I've top, got a counterpoint for you. Okay. You're going to like this. Okay, Ottawa has a centerman who centered, I believe it was the Art Ross winner and like an 80-plus point player in the same Artem year. Artem Anisimov. Anisimov. He centered Kane and Panarin the year that Panarin won the Calder. So why can't that just happen? You don't need a good center. You just need two good wingers. But anyways, okay, so we'll see what happens. Obviously, I, I get the reason to be apprehensive. You don't, need, you, yeah. you, need, you don't need a good center if you have two elite wingers. Yeah, and that's yeah. Dadanov and uh, Kachuk. Okay, well, hey, there's another center that could potentially be the one, someone who wanted to be a center in Montreal. It didn't work out. Then they tried him at center in Arizona, and uh, I don't know if he tried at center in Pittsburgh, uh, maybe in Minnesota. Anyways, Alex Galchenyuk, like I said, has signed with the Sens, and here is a guy much like Tyler Toffoli. He had that one amazing season back in 2015-16. He scored 30 goals, but he hasn't been able to reach that height since, though he did actually pace for 59 points in 2016-17 with the Habs. He just had some injuries. Uh, Unlike Toffoli, Galchenyuk has fallen starkly in his past couple of seasons. He managed only 41 points in 72 games with Arizona. Arizona in 2018-19, and then only 24 points in 59 games with Pittsburgh and Minnesota last year, which is only a 33-point pace. Uh, like, what? Like, I just don't... Like, what happened to this guy? Like, how has the 26-year-old Galchenyuk fallen so far so quickly? I remember, Brian, how you used to make fun of the Habs and be like, what are you doing? You should be deploying Galchenyuk more. He's so amazing. And now he's a kind of a laughing stock a little bit. People are like, oh, I guess Ottawa took a shot on him. If he doesn't do well, he's probably out of the league next year. Like, uh, yeah, do you have any sense of just, like, what went wrong with Galchenyuk's career? Um, that's a huge question, and not exactly the one I'm used to answering. Uh, I will cop to 
having that hashtag free Galchenyuk uh, campaign going when he was in in Montreal. And then I was excited to see him go to Arizona. And then I was like, okay, maybe in Pittsburgh. And then by the time he got flipped to Minnesota, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm not renewing my hope and I'm feeling the same about his time to go to Ottawa. You know, it's not to say he had a ton of opportunity at any of these stops, including Montreal, but if you look at it, opportunity as a thing a player needs to earn, um, that also speaks to the fact that he's been unable to earn that opportunity, even when teams paid a bargain bin price. Well, the Coyotes, not so much bargain bin, but they they acquired him. Like it was in their best interest to see him step up as an asset. You know, sometimes the deployment production relationship is a chicken and egg kind of debate. Uh, you know, is a player not producing because they're not getting deployed or are they not getting deployed because they're not producing? Um, and I used to think for Galchenyuk, that was the chicken and egg. Like I was still trying to figure out which was the chicken and which was the egg. But now I'm pretty sure that he's uh, not getting deployment, not just because he's not producing, but because he's not earning it. So uh, why, what went wrong with his career? Uh, The only explanation I've ever seen about it is like talk about his character, which yeah, I can't really dig into. I don't know the guy. And people are, people talking code about hockey players that you can't always decipher. Uh, he's just starting to feel like someone like, uh, say, Val Nichushkin, maybe, who had, like, crazy upside, but has been said to just not have that extra gear of compete. So you hope that they'll end up being a, an okay, complimentary middle six piece. Nichushkin seems to have found a nice niche for himself doing that in Colorado. Uh, Galchenyuk is going to, like have the opportunity, I think, to be this year's Duclair, but I have no hope that he'll actually be. In 2015-16, Galchenyuk had those 30 goals with Montreal, and there's reason to think and hope that that would be sustainable. But every year since then has been an indication that that was probably, almost certainly, a one-off from Galchenyuk. So zero interest from me on him in my fantasy drafts, and I don't think he gets much more than a half point per game in his best-case scenario. Bummer. Yeah, go Hollywood in the chat here saying it was like a self-confidence, like too high expectations. You know, I remember my mom used to say that Alexander Degla could have been better if he was uh, didn't have his high expectations coming in. So uh, we'll see. I mean, Galchenyuk, like on the plus side of all the teams he could have signed with, Ottawa is a team where he could land a prominent role in the lineup. Like he wasn't able to get one really in Minnesota, but like theoretically, like he could center the top line. It's not too much competition, at least for next year before like Norris and, you know, the prospect start Logan Brown start like obviously becoming better like for next year maybe he could center Kachuk and Dadanov and that would be an amazing spot for Galchenyuk maybe he gets on the power play so I'm just you know it's a possibility I agree with you that he's not someone I'm like circling as a potential sleeper in drafts but I'm not gonna lie I'm gonna add him to my watch list I'm gonna be curious to see what he does and how he gets deployed and if I see in training camp that he's getting you know, decent oh, deployment, basically. Sure. Yeah, if he's playing with Kachuk, basically, is the answer. Or yeah. maybe Dadanov, if Kachuk and Dadanov are split, then maybe I'm interested. But we'll have to see. Like, of all the places he's gone, Ottawa is, like, uh, the, it should be the easiest to crack a decent, like, top six spot. Now we just, we'll have to see if he can do it. Yeah, exactly. It, it's interesting, because usually I'm the one holding out hope a little longer than you. But here, like, even if he does get that great deployment, I just have so little faith that he's going to do anything with it or even be able to hang on to it. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm not, I'm not as optimistic, but I agree if he is like anybody, anyone in the league, if they're playing on the top line with a, a bona fide goal scorer and like potential star player like Brady Kachuk, then you've got to keep an eye on them the same way we, we like add someone like Philip Heedle and then he doesn't do much for us yet. 
anyway. Uh, but I, like that seems like a more apt comparison is being a centerman who uh, won't actually deliver even when given the opportunity. That's where I'm at with him. Yeah. Hey, I mean, if it's a self-confidence issue... Who knows? Maybe it's just a matter of getting things right. He did score 30 goals pretty recently, but okay. Yeah, let's move on from him. like six years ago. Four years ago, I think. Or five. Okay. 15, 16. (laughs) So let's switch and talk about Dina, maybe some more fantasy-relevant people away from Galchenyuk. Uh, If you recall, on that episode 306, Brian, we talked about the rumors that were flying that Alex Petrangelo was going to sign with Vegas. I remember, like, I think we even said on the show, like, Brian, I just saw, like, the deal's, like, almost accomplished. I remember you even threw out something like, well, you never know, he might still re-sign in St. Louis. And I remember being all, what are you talking about? No way. But anyway, it got, the deal got final. Do you remember this at all? Or are you, like, annoyed that I'm bringing this up vaguely like i i think yeah i don't think i was saying one thing was more likely to happen than another no i remember i just remember you said something and i was just like get the f out of here come on you just it it tempered your excitement (laughs) you could be as excited i I burst your imaginary uh, speculative bubble yeah though i don't know if actually we should be excited about petrangelo going to vegas fantasy wise but yeah so it happened it's finalized seven years 8.8 million per season so that'll go until he's 37 years old brian which is my age which means when he is 37 and his contract is over i'm gonna be 44 i wonder if i'll still be podcasting it's a old age to be uh yelling into a microphone like this anyway glad glad you're not under contract (laughs) yeah well i might be soon but anyways okay so vegas now becomes a very intriguing situation for fantasy right because petrangelo is coming off a career high 61 point pace season with the blues where he was like a multi-cat set he was among the tops in fantasy defenseman rankings in a lot of leagues last year because he had his mammoth 225 shots on goal and all those other peripherals he's good for but vegas already has a high shooting and high scoring D verging on becoming an elite fantasy option in Shea Theodore, who's coming off a 53 point pace season that looked more like a 60 plus point season. If you choose to ignore a slow start, he only had five points in his first 14 games and Theodore really took off. And by the end, was like amongst the top. I remember I looked at one point, he had more shots on goal than like Brent Burns for that last stretch of the season. He was like among the top of defensemen for shots. So he was awesome. And now it kind of looks like we've got another like Eric Carlson, Brent Burns situation. Like if you recall going into 2018-19, when Carlson signed with San Jose, we were trying to figure out like who's going to be on the top power play, who's going to get the deployment, Carlson or Burns. He's both great options. And it was once again, Coach Pete DeBoer, who we were trying to get into his head and try to speculate about what he's going to do. And now DeBoer is the coach of Vegas. And it all happens again, where he has two defensemen in Theodore and Petrangelo. And we have to try to guess what's going to happen. So the way I see it, we basically have three options. But I guess you could add infinite options because all of these things could like shift throughout the season. But obviously you could have Theodore just sticking on the top power play, continuing to get the top offensive deployment. And then Petrangelo steps into the role that like Nate Schmidt used to occupy, like maybe play a few more minutes. But Schmidt put up a 43 point pace last season. And maybe we could be looking at around that for Petrangelo and Theodore continues to ascend to being like a 60 plus point defenseman. Or, flip side, right, Petrangelo bumps Theodore from the top power play. He becomes the go-to D. Theodore takes on the Schmidt role. Uh, Side note, by the way, Brian, did you ever watch the TV show New Girl? No. Oh, every time I think... I have seen the movie about Schmidt. Oh, (laughs) I haven't seen that, actually. I don't know, I've been watching New Girl a bit lately, so, like, whenever I hear Schmidt, it makes me laugh. But anyway, okay. Uh, Then, the third option 
is DeBoer kind of repeats what he did in San Jose with Carlson and Burns. Remember, like, they were both on the top power play at some point, and they were, like, kind of switching. Sometimes it would be Carlson there, sometimes Burns. There was no way to know. So, yeah, now it's just like, how do you see this playing out? I feel like there's so many ways it could go. I like to think, just to make things easy, that Petrangelo just takes the Schmidt role and Theodore continues to ascend, because I've been really high on Theodore, and I was so excited to see what he could do next year. But now, like, I'd be a little nervous spending a super high draft pick on Shea Theodore, just because there is that chance that Petrangelo bumps him from that top power play. I don't know how likely it is, but it's definitely a possibility considering you know how much they're paying him and how great of a season he had last year. I've also been watching Community and it, like Schmidt makes me think of when like the kids for career day or whatever come in and call um what's his name? Not Jeff Joel McHale. Jeff Jeff and Britta Schmidties. Oh yeah. Schmitty! That was actually an annoying episode. I didn't like <laughs> that episode. I mean, they were so good at being so sincerely annoying. Like, it was so <laughs> aggravating to even have them on the screen. Maybe I, I... It was too personal. Maybe I, at some point, been called a Schmitty. <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway, uh, you're asking me what I should think about Shea Theodore's value with uh, Alex Petrangelo coming in and how that's going to impact either guy's value and how they're going to be deployed. It's a great question for which I am not uh, stupid enough to think I have an answer for. My hunch is that I just don't see Shea Theodore getting bumped entirely, but we have seen some similar types of coaching decisions from Pete DeBoer that seem to be based on variants like, oh, what's working? What isn't? Let's just make snap snap choices rather than being like, okay, uh, let's be patient. Things look the way they're supposed to. So we're just going to let it play out. Um, Don't ask me to name one. That's just the sense I have about Pete DeBoer's coaching. I feel like there's been an example in the past that I couldn't uh, put my finger on when I was preparing for the episode. In any case, um, I don't think Petrangelo is coming to Vegas to quarterback a power play. I think he's coming to continue being one of the best minute-eating two-way defenseman in the entire NHL. It's a role he's been in before, back when Shattenkirk in St. Louis was the league-leading power play quarterback and took care of business on that top unit, while Petrangelo could still get to like the mid-high 40s and even low 50s just from being on the ice as often as he was at 5-on-5, plus production from the second power play unit. So to be honest, that's the sort of um, framework I'm looking for to estimate what to expect from Petrangelo this year. Uh, what was he doing in those Shattenkirk years? He was in the like 45 to 50 point range. So that's where I'm going to put him. And Shattenkirk was doing great in the Shattenkirk years. So I am not so bummed at all about Petrangelo coming in. In fact, I think this to me is someone who still believes in, in Shea Theodore is good news because maybe he'll drop a little further in the draft because people think that Petrangelo is going to take substantial time away from him. I just don't think he will. Yeah, like, I have the same hunch as you. Like, I don't think he will either, but I'm definitely not, like, super confident. Also, like you said, right? So I, if he falls, great, I'll take him when the value's right. But, you know, I was thinking at the end of the playoffs that, like, Theodore is someone I could potentially see, like, drafting as, like, a top five defenseman next year. Now, like, I don't know, I'd also be one to be nervous, but there's, there could be huge upside if you take that swing and things do continue to go just like they did at the end of last year. Uh, there's a good point by Go Hollywood here in the chat, whose name is Danny by the way. Uh, I just want you to know that I know your name. Uh, that Vegas, actually, they have the they have an amazing roster, right? They have enough to fill two really great 
uh, power play. So they could go 50-50 again now that they have two defensemen who are clearly capable of running a power play. So that's another possibility, right? That was like my option three, where they both just sort of both get similar opportunities. So that, that'll be really fun. You know, the off-season podcasts are fun, but I'm really excited for in-season podcasts where we can just talk about like what's happening instead of trying to guess, because how are we supposed to know what Pete DeBoer is going to decide to do? And like you said, maybe he'll be deciding and changing his mind at the spur of the moment, depending on how things are going on a specific day. Uh, on Vegas... Uh, I'll mention one more thing that uh, I was going to bring up later in the show, but Paul Stasny, if you recall, got traded. So uh, just wanted to bring up that on Vegas, that really opens up a spot for Cody Glass. So I'll just bring that up right now and say that Cody Glass, now I don't see any reason why he won't be centering one of the top two lines and either playing with like Marsha So and Riley Smith or Stone and Pacioretty. So I think that of all the moves that Vegas made, you know, there's losing Schmidt, there's gaining Petrangelo, and there's losing Stasny. Maybe in the end, it is Cody Glass who benefits the most. So just to close the dot on the Vegas talk, like watch out for Glass as a great sleeper for next year. Throw him in the pile with uh, Hornfist as people that if they're still available at the end of the draft, I definitely am not letting them go undrafted. For sure. I'm, I'm totally with you. It's almost like Nick Suzuki is the more known Cody Glass. So I feel like whenever Nick Suzuki gets picked in your draft that's the time to add cody glass to your queue and just watch over the next couple rounds to see what the trend is and see how soon you need to grab him that's actually a really good point because montreal like you brought up is like a not a super high scoring team so people are going to obviously be going for suzuki because he's done it before but i definitely wouldn't be surprised to see glass get more points just because vegas is probably going to score more goals uh but okay so we talked about nate schmidt let's close the loop on him because he went to vancouver right so we started like the, the offseason was kind of not looking great for vancouver like we talked about how they lost to foley to free agency they also lost markstrom and signed holtby which i think is a goalie downgrade they lost chris tanev who you brought up on our patron cast last week you think he's like really good uh but then right there at the end when all the movement was starting to slow down the Canucks were able to fleece Vegas out of Nate Schmidt just for a third round pick in 2022 so Vegas had to move Schmidt and his 5.9 million dollar contract because Petrangelo brought them over the cap so they didn't have much negotiating power so Vancouver got a really good deal and yeah imagine Schmidt takes over from Chris Tanev as the right D with Quinn Hughes. I think that just would make sense to me. So I think that Nate Schmidt goes into a good situation being a top pairing D on Vancouver. I don't see it going a different way. Probably also will battle for PP2 time. I guess it could be him or Edler or Myers. Uh, So I guess we'll see what happens there. Anyway, any reason to expect Schmidt's production to change from the solid half point per game guy he's been since joining Vegas? To me, I feel like Schmidt sort of stays the same. I agree. I I think you summarized it all very well. Uh, You know, he was used quite a bit in Vegas. I think you look at who played the most in Vancouver's decor last year. You see Alex Edler, Tyler Myers, and Quinn Hughes. I have to think that Nate Schmidt ends up being uh, in the top two most used defensemen by Vancouver next year, or maybe even the top most. Like, to me, this is almost also a time to consider exactly what to expect from Alex Edler next year because the Canucks really didn't have much choice but to try and use him as much as they could and like sure it worked but like he's getting older he's got miles on him and you wonder if now that they have someone like Nate Schmidt to take some minutes from him except I didn't actually check if they shoot with the same handedness so this may or may not be relevant um but just keep just keep in mind if you're if you're expecting peripherals from Edler and Tyler Myers uh one or both of them might lose a bit as Nate Hmm. Schmidt eats into their minutes but what about losing Chris Tanev I I assume Schmidt sort of just takes over for Tanev yeah sure Uh, but maybe in all situations like I I don't know all I'm saying is they have another option like Alex Edler yeah he's a left shot 
and uh, he's 34. He'll be turning yeah. 35 this season. Yeah, and he's an injury risk for sure. I don't know. I feel like in Vancouver, like it stays the same because Tanev wasn't like playing no minutes either. I feel like. Anyways, whatever. Like I said, Tanev was a top-pairing defenseman also, so I feel like... Maybe if Tanev stayed, his ice time would have gone up this year. I see what you're saying. Okay, so either way, Edler was probably going to be on his way out just because he's getting older and he's uh, brittle. But he's great when he plays, and Vancouver is going to need some good D because they've got Holtby and Nett, who you know I'm not too confident in. And then, obviously, they have Demko, who... We'll see. Like, he had a great playoffs. He didn't have the most amazing season. And we've talked enough about Demko on the last few podcasts, so we could move on. But yeah, Vancouver's going to be an interesting team. We actually talked about them at length on the Patreon cast last week, which, by the way, you could listen to uh, right now. Actually, you still have until December 1st, like I said, to sign up for a buck, and you could get the Patreon cast. Uh, so check it out. We talked about Vancouver and if they're like overrated going into next year because of the playoff run they had and how we think they're going to do next year. So uh, let's end the Canucks talk. Let's keep the D power play talk going and go to Philly because we talked about an unsure top power play quarterback situation in Vegas. How about another tricky one over in Philadelphia now where they've signed Eric Gustafsson to a one year, $3 million deal. And yes, last year, Ivan Provorov finally took over from Shane Gossesbeher as the main D on the top power play. And Provorov had a decent enough season. He had 36 points in 69 games for a 42-point pace. 16 of those points came on the power play. And I kind of see two different ways to look at what happened with Provorov last year. Like, on one hand, 16 power play points kind of seems like pretty mad. Like, it was in a shortened season. So let's say rounded up to like 20 or so power play points. Gustafsson had 18 in Chicago the year before. Uh, but Gosses Beher had 33 in 2017-18 and was like a 22-23 power play point guy in the two years before that. So it's not as if Provorov, like, blew us away Uh, but on the other hand uh, Philly ranked seventh in the league in power play percentage last year Uh, they converted at 20.8 percent of their opportunities so seems like they were pretty good so maybe they have no reason to swap out Provorov but Gustafsson is like not nobody right he had that huge breakout with Chicago in 2018-19 60 points in 79 games but then last season he struggled to stay in the lineup eventually got traded to the Flames where he did bump Mark Giordano from the top power play there and he managed three assists in seven games including one power places so yeah curious is it like uh up in the air here where you're not sure what's going to happen with Gustafsson and Provorov in terms of who quarterbacks the top power player or do you think Provorov has cemented himself enough where Gustafsson would really have to show something to be a threat to him at this point it's like now that the Flyers have Carter Hart and they can end years of like oh is this next goalie our guy and they're like oh no he's actually not like all the way a starter and then trying another one and another one and another one and never having the stability in that now that they have that they're gonna push that onto their top power play quarterback position we're gonna have all the same questions it's really annoying you know before it was like, oh it's got to spare now and then, oh it's not and then it's Provorov and oh not anymore and there was a, a little Sanheim detour too and now like I say maybe not anymore Provorov because they've added Eric Gustafsson who's um, really, best quality seems to be uh, as someone who could quarterback a power play. He's he's like an okay all-around top four defenseman, but he's not someone I think who's especially good at any one thing. And I wonder if they're eyeing him as a power play quarterback. So it is um, pretty frustrating. It does take value out of Ivan Provorov, just in case Gustafsson does end up usurping those minutes. And it's just another place for uncertainty where you don't want to, like you're talking about um, Petrangelo and Theodore, like a Petrangelo adds some uncertainty to Theodore there. I would say Gustafsson in the picture in Philadelphia adds more uncertainty to Provorov's future than the Vegas example. So um, for me, 
it just, uh, I've said this a couple times already, it's just annoying that I don't know what's going to happen and I just want to know what's going to happen. But uh, I, I don't feel like I can count on Provrov or Gustafsson or anybody in Philly to really put up reliably good power play points. Yeah, I guess like the thing is Provorov is like so solid because he gets points at even strength and he's good for peripherals. So he's probably good for 40 points either way. But like I would have hoped that if he was on the top power play, he might have upside to do what Gosses Behar did like for a season and potentially like become like a 50, 60 point defenseman. Now that becomes a little less likely for next year just because he has that extra challenge. Like definitely I'm not shying away from drafting Provorov and the upside is still there. But yeah, now the, you know, I guess, yeah, the upside is limited. And Gustafsson is again now someone that I'm not jumping for because I think Provorov is is fine and maybe Gustafsson has been brought in to just quarterback the second power play give them the flexibility to trade Gosses Behar he's kind of like another Gosses Behar I don't know why a team would need both Gustafsson and Gosses Behar so and you know Philly has been trying to trade Ghost Bear so yeah so I, I I'm not too excited about uh Gustafsson but I would probably draft him if he fell to the end of my draft and it's in a league where it's hard to find D in free agency because there is obviously that chance hey in Philly by the way they have a decent number of good forwards like they theoretically could go with two even power play units as well just like we mentioned with Vegas right they have Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Konechny, JVR then they have like Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee coming up so like theoretically they could go two units so again can't wait. I can't wait to actually see. And it'll be fun. This will be a situation I'll be watching closely in training camp for sure to see like who's running the units when that happens. Uh, okay. So another D situation that we can tear our hair out about is in Boston because they did not re-sign Tory Krug. As we know, he went to St. Louis and their only response to not getting Tory Krug to come back was to re-sign Matt Grizzlick to a four-year contract for $3.7 million per season. And of course, if you're not like a hardcore fantasy player, you might be thinking like, who cares? Like, Grizzlick is kind of a nobody in fantasy. Like, he's 26 years old. His career high was last season's 21 points in 68 games. But of course, what we know is that the few times that Krug was out of the lineup due to injury over the past couple of seasons, it was Grizzlick jumping on the top power play with all of Boston's big guns and not Charlie McAvoy. And I read an article that came out on October 19th in the Boston Globe by Matt Porter, which was all about how Grizzlick is expecting to get first crack on the power play. And he was talking about like his strategy and what he's going to do on it. So it seems like, at least according to Grizzlick and this uh, author, Matt Porter, like, they think Grizzlick is the one yeah, getting this first crack. Uh, so now, yeah, like in Philly, like in Vegas, we're trying to speculate on deployment in order to try projecting Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy, who... Like, I was kind of thinking with Krug leaving, this is, could be a huge opportunity for McAvoy to take a huge step forward in fantasy because he's already such a good fantasy asset because of his peripherals and he's like a solid 40-point guy already. I thought he could be like a Petrangelo, right? When Shattenkirk left and all of a sudden Petrangelo got on the top power play and just became an elite fantasy option. I thought that could have happened with McAvoy. Now, I guess there's like Matt Grizzlick, of all people, like in his way. So, uh, I, by the way, I'll throw another wrench into the picture before throwing to you. Uh, that top power play is not going to be as good to start the season, potentially, because the Bruins are going to be without David Pasternak, who had a hip procedure on September 16th that's expected to have a five-month recovery time. And they'll also be without Brad Marchand, who had a sports hernia surgery on September 14th, which was expected to have a four-month recovery time. Though I will say, Bruce Cassidy said uh, recently, a few weeks ago, that they're on schedule. They may even be ahead of schedule, for all I know. So I don't know how in tune Bruce Cassidy is to the health of these guys, but obviously he knows they're working hard in their recoveries so maybe all this conversation isn't as meaningful as it would be normally because the boston top power play may not be as lethal without these two big superstars but okay brian what's your take same question as before who do you think is going to land on the top power play what do you think we can expect from both of these guys how do we project mcavoy and grizzly going into next season it feels like you've covered 
all the angles here, Elon. I really don't have a whole lot to add, except that what I brought up on the Patreon cast uh, last Sunday, which was that Matt Grizzlick is the same height as Tory Krug. So maybe uh, he also shoots Mm -hmm. the same way. So uh, maybe that's enough of a similarity for the Bruins to just hand him the top power play quarterback job. I mean, they've tried in the past, right? And I was actually counting up the number of games over the last two seasons that Grizzlick has had a turn on the top power play. It's low, like in the, like just more than 10. And he's only pointed in a few of them. But really, if you're on the top power play and you point three times for every 10 games uh, in a full season, that's still 24 power play points. So that's really good. But we're also talking about a super small sample from which it would be irresponsible to try and draw any conclusions. All I know is that whenever I've added Matt Grizzlick to my fantasy team to try and get a point while he's on the top power play, I feel like the delivery has rarely been there. So I have this sort of bias against him, but it sure looks like he's going to be the one to get a shot. And, uh, only once Marshawn and Pasternak come back, I really want that top power play quarterback in Boston because it could be really tough for the unit to get going without Krug, Marshawn, and Pasternak, three of the key cogs, essentially like the heart of that, the whole mm-hmm. heart, the heart, the left atria and the ventricle. I'm, <laughs> I don't know enough about the names of the parts of the heart. They're all gone. They're all gone. So well, Bergeron um, that's, is good. Bergeron's like the blood. I don't know. <laughs> wow, we're both so, so medically aware here. Um, okay, I'm trying to get back on no, I think track you're good. thinking about this. Yeah, I'm just saying the Boston power play until Marshawn and Pasternak are healthy might be a tough place to produce. So even even while they're out, if Grishlik is the quarterback for 10 games, I still don't know if he's the guy. I just feel like we're going to have to wait a little while for to, to really find out who's got that power play value. I'd like it to be McAvoy, but he doesn't seem to be the one next in line to get a look. Yeah, and also, like you said, like just because you're on the top power play doesn't mean you're necessarily valuable in fantasy. Like, look at Devon Taves on the Islanders last year. Like, how many people listening had him available in free agency and just passed day in, day out? Uh, obviously, Boston is generally a very different situation than the Islanders. I think, actually, I'm going to take your advice of what you said about Shea Theodore, which was, uh, I just can't imagine uh matt grizzly like, i don't know maybe i'm being a hater like i just can't imagine him holding that job all season so i feel like take advantage of mcavoy falling in drafts when he wouldn't have otherwise and i feel like by the end of the year charlie mcavoy is running the top power play and he could become one of the biggest steals in, in fantasy this year depending on, on how far he falls in drafts so that's my takeaway in boston Yeah, and I don't think it's unfair for you to be like, I just can't see Grizzlick doing it because for the large majority of his career, he never has. He even played a full season in the AHL uh, when he turned pro, 32 points in 70 games. Like, okay, he's a rookie in the AHL, but still, going back to his college career, his last couple years, he had some uh, some more offensive pedigree. But even going back to that, like you look at the two first years that he's got recorded on HockeyDB with the U.S. National Development Team, no indication that this guy is a power play quarterback who can like throw points on net. Honestly, his background looks a lot more like someone like Nate Schmidt than it would be a top power play quarterback. And I actually, that's not to discount Schmidt's ability. I've actually said he probably could quarterback a top power play, but just in the way we think of Schmidt is eh, probably a 45 point guy because he's not going to go to a whole lot of deployment. I think similarly uh, about Grizzlick, but worse. Actually. Yeah, me too. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, on Boston, I guess we should mention, with these guys injured, Pasternak and Marshawn, first of all, gen- general fantasy advice, which may not apply to this season, but if you're in a head-to-head league and these guys are falling far in your drafts, like I would take them still, right? Because you, if you're confident in yourself and your ability to just like tread water while they're injured, you stash them in your IR and then come fantasy playoffs time, they're healthy. You've got like two of the top fantasy people that you got super cheap in the draft. So I definitely wouldn't fade uh, Pasternak and Marshawn too far in your drafts. But in the meantime, uh, that's also an opportunity for some forwards to get bigger looks, both on the power play and at even strength, right? Like Bergeron's going to be centering the top line, and that's two openings to play with him. So we're looking at potentially guys like, uh, I don't know, Craig Smith, who's on the team, Charlie Coyle, uh, Andre Kasha, one of your favorites. Uh, so, I don't know, we'll have to look and see Jake DeBrusque, but I guess he's already on the second line, so maybe he goes to the top line. So there's some people, someone's going to get a good opportunity. It's going to be the kind of thing that we're going to want to just watch lines in training camp. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to be like Boston's going to be a, a place for some players to make names for themselves early on because of these big injuries and because Tory Krug is gone. So definitely going to be an interesting team to watch, just like I guess most of these teams, just like we talked about with Philly. So Brian, anyone jumping up your draft rankings on Boston because of this bonus opportunity due to injuries of these guys I mentioned or maybe someone else? Yeah, I mean, you've got Andre Kasha, who you're not surprised to hear me say, because I've been a booster of his for a while and think he just really needs an opportunity. Uh, Jake DeBrusque is another name who I think a lot of uh, people might be eager to jump on. But uh, as I mentioned towards the end of last season, we've waited so long for him to take that next step. And in no sense has he indicated that he's going to. Like that breakout boom, out of nowhere, could still happen. But there's no, there's been no gradual lead up to a moment where it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like DeBrusca's trend, like, this is it. He's got everything and just needs things to break right. I really don't see a ton more opportunity. But I will say that you can't rule out the offensive upside of anybody being centered by Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci. So you've got uh, Andres Bjork, uh, Craig Smith, Last year, Elon, do you remember that Carson Coleman was someone yeah. who had a who had a bit of juice going into the season, and then nothing came of that. But out outside of those names, and I still don't think either of them are, are ready to take a huge step forward. Except, I think Andre Kasha is the one with the most unknown upside that I'm hoping he can find that extra gear to hit. Yeah, I'll throw a name at you, which uh, Danny is saying in the chat here, Jack Studnicka. Awesome name. Uh, so he is a prospect with the Bruins, drafted back in 2017 in the second round. And last year, he had 49 points in 60 games in the AHL. So I think he'll probably be ready now, a 21-year-old. He could join the team, and all of a sudden, maybe he has this opportunity to jump right into the top six because of all these openings. Craig Smith also getting some love in the live chat. By the way, you can uh, listen to our shows live. Watch them live, too. KeepingCarlson.com slash L-I-V-E. If you <laughs> aren't sure how to spell live. Uh, anyway, uh, Craig Smith yeah. getting some shout-outs in the chat, especially in a cap league. And uh, Elon, you know I've been a longtime fan of Craig Smith, just as a steady Eddie kind of guy. And I, I like that he's probably settled in the top six. And if he's settled in the top six, I think he can probably put up a 50 point pace while there. So he's someone who uh, whose name doesn't jump off any kind of list because it's a really boring name, Craig Smith, but he could have some good value in deeper leagues where a 50 point guy is worth drafting. Yeah. 
I, I have 50 points would be exciting. I, I, I'm not expecting it. I mean, I'm more excited about, actually about Jake DeBrusque. I know, I feel like now that you've said, like, okay, like <laughs> we've been waiting and he hasn't broken out yet, that means this is the year he's going to break out, you know, because he's still young and obviously I'm more excited about him than, than a Craig Smith, which I'm sure you are as well. Okay, yeah. so uh, let's go. I brought up Devon Taves as someone who was on the top power play on the Islanders but didn't do much, uh, but he's still a very valuable piece for that team. And of course, that means Colorado gets him basically for free because Colorado is somehow the best run team in the league and they just keep getting better and better we talked about them back on that episode 306 and how they got Brandon Saad from Chicago for like Zadorov. and I remember saying at the time like and like they lose Zadorov, but who cares because they have the Bone Byram coming up they're, they're gonna be fine on D like now just in case they even bring in Devontae so this team just keeps getting better and better like this D like Brian this is the Colorado decor for next year Kale McCarr Sam Girard Eric Johnson, Devon Taves, Ryan Graves, who was really great last year, and then maybe Bowen Byram, or if not, then Ian Cole. Like, this is like a stacked all the way down, and I don't have to get into the forwards, but that's also stacked. Burakovsky had that huge breakout last year, and all of a sudden he's like a... Like, ugh. Anyway, all this to say, like, Devon Taves loses all fantasy value, right? Like, in terms of fantasy... He had a sliver on the Islanders since he was running the top power play for a lot of the year, but still only managed 28 points in 68 games with only six of those points on the power play. Now he's just like a depth piece on the avalanche with like no significant power play deployment opportunities. So, uh, you know, great for Colorado, but I think like terrible for Devon Taves. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure exactly where he could have had like a big, huge, relevant fantasy impact. It's, I mean, maybe just by virtue of being on the ice with some really great offense, he'll get some points, but no more than he's gotten everywhere else. Great addition uh, on the ice, not a great addition on a fantasy roster. Yeah, I would have thought his like best opportunity would have been if he just stayed on the Islanders and then somehow like got better and just kept getting the same opportunity. But uh, yeah, not going to happen. Okay, next, let's talk about Paul Stasny. I mentioned before how Vegas traded Paul Stasny to Winnipeg, opening up that nice spot for Cody Glass, who did take that spot a bit last year early on but uh, Paul Stasny now gets an opportunity to bounce back from a rough season because he's going to Winnipeg and that is a team that's been searching for a second line center for so long like, ever since Brian Little has been hurt they've they even tried Paul Stasny a couple years ago they got yeah, they, trade they, they found Paul Stasny as there should have been second line center and then they let him go just like they did Kevin Hayes hey, maybe they made an offer. Like, both of them were unrestricted free agents, so they got them, and then... But now they've got Stasny for only one year, so next year we'll be having this whole new conversation because he's going to be UFA, but Winnipeg decided to take on the last year of his $6.5 million contract. Uh, This, to me, seems like only good news, right? Like, I already said good news for Cody Glass. On Winnipeg, so first of all, Stasny, I feel like, is in a good situation because he really doesn't have much competition. Like, I don't think he has a glass behind him in Winnipeg to bump him, so I think he'll be centering that second line. Great news for Liney and Ehlers, who get to play with him on the second line instead of, like, the Cody Eakin or Andrew Cobb that they had to play with sometimes last year. Then we got Blake Wheeler, who no longer has to play center when clearly he's more productive when he's being centered by Mark Shifley. And like, yeah, I just think like all the relevant players, just I'm more excited about them because of this deal. So good news all around. I don't know. I guess the main question, though, is all this hinges on Paul Stasny still being good, right? Like last year, he only had 38 points in 71 games as opposed to his normal 55, 60 point self. So do you think Stasny now at 34 years old still has it in him to be an offensive force that can also elevate his star line mates and make them better? I do. At five on five, Stasny's season actually looks like really really good. 
um, like oh. one of the better ones for wow. years, although his uh, IPP was down. It was down around uh, just under 60% when, uh, I mean, that's not terrible, but we have seen him closer to 70% before. Uh, and his on-ice shooting percentage was the real culprit here. It was down below 7%. And Elon, I don't know, like, do you remember the lengthy conversations we had about um, that Stasny Pacioretty and Stone line and how like everything seems to be going all right. And with Pacioretty or Stone, they were on the like getting power play points. So it wasn't a big deal. But with Stasny, it was like, everything seems okay. It's just not going in. And like, he's not getting any breaks. I remember uh, through the playoffs, he was someone I would add to my DFS lineup every night because I had complete faith in his ability and he was dirt cheap because he hadn't done anything. And then on the nights I won, it was because he actually did step up, which didn't happen often enough. But I really do think he still has plenty to offer Winnipeg. And I think the headline here is that uh, probably for Paul Stasny, his uh, upside stays about the same. And I like not from last year's 44 point pace, uh, the years before that, well, he had 69 points a couple years ago, uh, in Vegas, he was on pace for then before that it was like 50 to 60 points for the four years prior. Um, that's where I'd see him in Winnipeg. And I think it's actually really, really great news. You already said it, but it's great news for Patrick Liney and Nick Ehlers and even Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor, who at times were playing with like Andrew Kopp or whatever other inadequate top six centerman or wing option in Winnipeg. So now I like that Winnipeg has a chock full top six of really, really good players. And I'm looking forward to see what Stastny can do. Uh, maybe he can get Liney going, although, you know, there's maybe so many maybes around Patrick Liney. The one thing that I do wonder about, and like you tell me, Elon, if this is dumb, but Stastny didn't want to leave Vegas. Um, he was very happy there. Of course, he had the opportunity to sign in Winnipeg in the past, too. So I kind of wonder if he's less like, uh, you know, I, I'm just not feeling it and uh, <laughs> is, is disappointed. I think he, he was pretty vocal that he wasn't happy to be mo- to be moved uh, as the Golden Knights made room for Alex Petrangelo. But I guess he's a professional at the end of the day. And as you mentioned, he's a UFA. So he's still got something big to play for. Yeah, and also I think Paul Stasny is known for being like a really solid and responsible player. Like I don't think he's the type that's gonna like you know I'd be more worried about someone like you said the question marks for Patrick Laine who's expressed concerns about who his centerman is. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried about Stasny like not trying or anything like that. If anything, my main question will be like this past season Patrick Laine had his best ever point pace. He had uh, 28 goals and 63 points in 68 games for a 76 point pace. Now with Paul Stasny as the center and also him being a year older. Is next year going to be the first year where Patrick Laine uh, breaks point per game? Oh, I hope so. We all hope so, right? It was really nice to see Laine essentially bounce back under the hood to what he had done in his first couple seasons in the NHL. The difference was that his shooting percentage didn't go all the way back up to that sort of 15% mark he was at for the first two seasons at five on five. Last season, he was at 10%, which was very much like the season before it. So again, here's another guy who just hasn't it's not quite like Toffoli, who's been in the league a long time and just never stabilized. We just haven't seen enough of Liney. This will be the season where it's like, oh, does he have another 10% season or does he have another 15% season? And then we assume that whichever one of those he has is the type of shooter he is because that'll have made up the majority of his NHL career. Um, so I, I'm very curious to see. But even if his shooting percentage does stay steady, um, I mean, not point per game pace, but I still think we can expect a good year from Liney. Yeah, I mean... and. 
you know, a really good fantasy option. Like, I feel like Line A might be a little bit underrated going to yeah. drafts next year. Like, he paced for over 100 hits, you know, paced for, like, around 250 shots. And now if he has a better centerman, like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for Line A next year. And I wouldn't, if someone reached for him, like, at the end of the first round of a draft, I don't think it would be the craziest pick at this point. But it's a bit of, a bit of risk you're taking on. I mean, that's that seems like a bit of a jump, although he was being targeted in the first two rounds after his amazing rookie seasons. Um, the one reason that you like might just want to buy in totally on Liney is watching his ice time and how much it rose this year, although it did have like this pretty sudden fall that I want to look into a little more deeply. But he played on average another two minutes per night um this season at five on five than he had in any previous year so finally getting that chance to be let loose and get that deployment um but it really cratered um just like towards the end uh i'm not sure if this was i can't remember if he was injured elon but like he was seeing 19 or 20 minutes a night for the first four months of the season then it dropped down below 19 minutes in the last four games of the season before the break um before the pause excuse me he was just playing less than 15 minutes Hmm. The thing with Line is like, and the thing with the Jets overall that we keep kind of need to remind ourselves is even though they like seemed fine in terms of their record, like they stunk last year, like defensively especially, right? Like yeah. it's just like Connor Hellebuck bailed them out. And I think that's that's actually what the question mark is with Line is like, if he's going to be a defensive liability, then there's always that risk that yeah he loses minutes because they don't want to put him out. Because, and like last year it didn't go well defensively at least. So yeah, you know that that's, that's the question. True. So we'll have to uh, wait and see. I will clarify, I'm pretty sure he was injured because there was a game against Washington at the end of February where he played one shift and then the next four games after that were uh, very low. So, and then, like, I guess my point is that he was getting more minutes, but I like your counterpoint a lot, Elon, was that, well, he was getting more minutes, but Winnipeg was just getting filled in uh, all the time. And so maybe playing Patrick Liney that much was having a, a, an overall detrimental effect on the team. Yeah, though that could also be the cause of not having a good second line center. And so yes. we come back to Paul Stasny, who he's always, yeah. always liked as a defensive player. So, so I'm, another, I'm into Patrick Liney this year. <laughs> another interesting situation. To watch. It's like the whole league is interesting. I guess that's why we play fantasy and watch hockey. It's an interesting sport, an interesting league. Okay, let's go to Toronto, where they signed Joe Thornton. How fun is that? Thornton joins Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons in the bottom six of, like, the bottom six that would have been amazing 10 years ago. And now it's just kind of fun to watch. I'm so excited, Brian, to watch Leafs games just to see Joe thornton out there it's gonna be wild uh, in terms of fantasy i assume there's not much to say like he hasn't been valuable in fantasy as a big contributor for a couple seasons now uh i don't think that he gets into the top six we had a conversation when andreas Janssen and captain got traded about like this that left open a spot in the top six and we were talking about guys like Ilya mikhaev or maybe rookie nicholas robertson taking that spot i don't think like thornton enters that conversation anyway they don't need it's a winger anyways but uh yeah fun to see thornton there i think really the more interesting conversation to have on toronto right now is we have to talk about the stud defenseman who has been playing in the KHL on Joker at Helsinki and is now heading to North America to play for the Leafs. His name is Miko Lettinen. You're such a guy that lives in Toronto. Okay, I mean, I'm just telling... Okay, I have more to say, and I'm not only just talking about, like, I'm excited for the Leafs. Like, this is, like, now that this is the Leafs' chance because they have Miko Lettinen coming. But you're steeped. You're You're steeped in the hype of Leafs Nation, which, like, I'm not saying is wrong, necessarily. I'm just like, uh, this is a lot of juice to be given a guy who... Like, we know so little about. Well, you didn't let me... By the way, Brian, I read an article 
on Sportsnet, 10 player, yeah. players and prospects S- who are doing well in Europe that we should keep an eye on. Do you I'm know where only- Sportsnet's head offices are? In Toronto. Okay. <laughs> Can I just say about this guy? Maybe people don't, people don't even know who I'm talking about. This guy, Miko Letnin, hasn't been in the NHL yet, but he's already had like a long career. Like I said, he's like 26 years old. And this year in the KHL, he started there. 17 points in 17 games as a defenseman. Last year, he had 49 points in 60 games. He's coming to Toronto. And like the thing is, like I don't want to make any crazy predictions here, right? Like probably Morgan Riley is going to run the top power play but last year like uh they had morgan riley and sheldon keith took over as the coach and morgan riley no longer ran the top power play tyson barry did and i know barry's gone so everyone's just assuming well barry's gone so now riley gets the job back but like or maybe sheldon keith doesn't like morgan riley running the top power play and maybe this guy miko letnin finally gives him another option to try so yeah that seems like uh, yeah i know i know you're just it just seems like a leap like you have tyson berry he's literally capable of nothing else and offers very little other value to your lineup so you're gonna put him as your top power play quarterback slander well oh sorry excuse me (laughs) uh we love every hockey player that's ever played they're all really good they're all probably tied for the best ever but what i'm saying here is that uh, between riley and barry like I could really definitely rationalize putting Barry on the top power play between Riley and Lightning. I mean, we'll see what the guy's got when he plays in North America. I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying, like, Riley is a perfectly reasonable option to quarterback a top power play. It's not like the Leafs are desperate to find one. And, you know, maybe they'll, like, this is a way to reward Riley for all the work he does at five on five, too. So we'll see. Um, someone, thank you, Elon, for bringing up someone that we should keep an eye on on our draft list. But just never forget that the Leafs get the clicks. <laughs> Brian, you you're such a no new friends kind of guy. Like you don't want me to ever bring up I, on the Patreon cast. I brought up Yusuf Valamaki and how well he was doing, and you were like, "No, Giordano's going to run the top power play." <laughs> Come on, it's like Giordano is not going to run that power play forever. Like, I think we need a, a shirt, a new merch shirt that says "No new power play one QBs." <laughs> Yeah, Brian doesn't like these players coming from the KHL and from Europe, clearly. You're, the, not... you're, Don, you're Don Cherry, oh my basically. God. I won't. I can't and I won't. <laughs> uh, another new player coming to Toronto since the last episode is Aaron Dell, who they signed as a free agent. One year, $800 million, not $800 million, $800,000 contract. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, right? Like, Dell's not a no one. He, he had a solid 907 save percentage in 33 games last season with the Sharks. He stole the job from Martin Jones for stretches. Not that that's necessarily so hard to do. Uh, but the Leafs already have Jack Campbell as their backup who they got from LA and I was excited for Campbell for next season because like the, you know the shortened schedule maybe or maybe like Anderson gets injured like I thought maybe Campbell could jump up now I wonder is this a situation where Jack Campbell is going to be battling with Aaron Dell to like decide who's going to be the backup to start the season or do you think this is more like they got Dell they have them on this like less than million dollar deal with the plan to send them to the minors and it's just like depth you know obviously like there's a, always a risk of a goalie getting injured and now they have someone solid that, that they could bring in as a backup if an injury happens like I, i'm just curious like should i be concerned i bought no. jack campbell's rookie card because <laughs> i was excited about uh, you know toronto players when uh, they do well their hockey cards like balloon because people are so excited about them so that's why i bought jack campbell i, I don't want him to be in the minors next year he won't be there's no way he's he like maybe Aaron Dell can contest but I, I'm confident I'm like I, I almost want to retract that statement because Aaron Dell the Leafs seem to have uh, like a preference to have a, a guy with NHL experience like you know a veteran journeyman who just can't earn a number one or number two job in the NHL to be their goalie in the AHL I don't know if it's like an organizational philosophy or if it just keeps happening to happen uh, but 
Arendelle is not a threat to the spot that Jack Campbell holds. And I will say that definitively. I'm not even going to say but or accept. Wow. It's just, that's just, that's just it to me. There's no competition just, here. I just feel like uh, it might be, we might be shortchanging Dell just because it's kind of like, we're not you know, shortchanging Dell. <laughs> like he's been on San Jose. They're like not a great defensive team. Anyway, we'll see. But okay, you're saying we won't see. You said we've already seen. So good. Uh, there's a bit more movement. This is all like now minor stuff. So maybe we can make this like a lightning round and then we'll end on a couple injuries. Uh, so I'll, I'll just throw these out. You interrupt me, Brian, when you want to like comment on any of these. But Okay, uh, I like the first one. Okay, it's so the first one. Dominic Cahoon uh, has gone to the Oilers. He signed a one-year, nine hundred seventy-five mil. Uh, I don't know. One-year, nine hundred seventy-five thousand per year contract. Still a lot of money. Talk about it like it's nothing. It's not a million. Anyway, so Cahoon, uh, thirty-one points in fifty-six games last year with Pittsburgh and Buffalo, uh, which is decent enough. And like, I don't see why he shouldn't get a similar shot at one of the remaining couple top six spots along with. Okay, so like, I think that for sure McDavid, Drysdale, RNH, and Yamamoto have four of those spots locked in and then we have like a bunch of guys like Puliarvi, Zach Cassian, Kyle Turris, Tyler Ennis and now I think you could throw Cahoon on the list of people who might compete maybe like not at the start of the season maybe like just at points in the year like I, I definitely can foresee us at least a couple of times on the next season of keeping Carlson being like everyone look, Dominic Cahoon's on the on, playing with McDavid like everyone come on go grab Cahoon he's good right now and then we'll see how long it lasts if, if I had to put my money on it I would think it's going to be like Puliarvi and I don't know like Turris Maybe is the, though Cassian all like I'd say two of the, those three like Puliarvi, Turris, and Cassian. I'd bet on two of them to be in the top six, but I think Cahoon is someone worth thinking about. I definitely don't think Turris is going to be one. Of, why do you think Turris as a centerman? Well, I don't think he could play wing. He's played wing before. Turris? Yeah, he he's played, not. When he had right wing eligibility last year. Uh, okay, you you talk about Cahoon, and I'm going to look up when Turris played wing. I mean, Turris has been like he might have had eligibility, and maybe, like maybe when he broke into the league, it was like with Arizona. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not buying that Kyle Turris is anything except a third line center that the Oilers like have needed. So good for them to go out and grab him. Um, but he's not a guy that I see threatening for a top six spot. I think he helps, uh, uh, you know, create some depth down the middle for Edmonton. And yeah, I really do like the Cahoon signing. Uh, my my fear would be that Cahoon does end up in that revolving door the same way he was in Pittsburgh, where like you said, it's like, okay, Cahoon's playing with McDavid or Cahoon's playing with Drysaddle. Go grab him. He gets three games there. Maybe he gets a point, but then that's the end of it. Um, but Cahoon is exactly the kind of player that the Oilers should be taking a chance on to help fill out the void that is their top six outside of McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins. And I feel like there's really very little competition. I agree Ennis is competition. I agree Paul Yarvey is competition. Um, but there's room for those two plus Cahoon. I guess you could look at Alex Chieson and Zach Cassian as other possible guys. Um, but maybe, just maybe, the Oilers are deep enough to finally put those guys where they belong into middle six positions instead of on the top lines flanking McDavid or Dreisaitl. Yeah, like definitely I'm not drafting Cahoon, but he's someone that I have a feeling we'll be thinking about every once in a while. And obviously, if we see preseason line combos and Cahoon's, you know, playing with Drysdale or McDavid, then obviously we have to reassess. Brian, last year, uh, Kyle Turris, I'm looking at the, his line combos. There was a stretch, 8.8% of the season. He he played with uh, Duchesne and Granlund. So I don't know. Sorry, 8.8% either... of the season? I'm looking at all of Kyle Turris's. He ha- his highest is 9.1, playing with Craig Smith and Colin Blackwell. And then yeah. the next highest is playing with Duchesne and Granlund, who are both 
players who've played centers. So I don't know. All three of them are centers. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Tours was on the wing at some point this year. Yeah, maybe with Duchesne. But like that's that was just a recent Nashville development because yeah. they had a bunch of underperforming centermen. I, yeah, I would I be know. I would be very very surprised Fair. when Edmonton needs the depth. Well, they need the depth everywhere. <laughs> um, but I think like I saw it as a as a three C kind of signing. Yeah, it uh, makes sense. So who, so who are the other centers in Edmonton? Uh, Jujar Kyra and... Cracknell. Uh, <laughs> is Eaton he there? Haas. Tyler Ennis can play center. All right, fine. So let's move on. Okay, I, this is supposed <laughs> to be a lightning round. So uh, next, uh, this will be super quick. Cody Cece went to the Penguins, one-year, $1.25 million deal. He's good for blocks. Like He was good in multi-category leagues a couple years ago in Ottawa when he had a 29-point pace, as long as your league didn't count plus minus, by the way, then he wasn't worth it. But, uh, you know, his 29-point pace made him worthwhile because he got a point every once in a while to go along with his, like, decent shots, hits, blocks. Last year, he was useless on Toronto. He only had eight points in 40, or 56 games and didn't even take a shot per game. So we'll see. But, like, Cody CC, if, if you need blocks, remember that he's on Pittsburgh. Okay, next. Uh, Ryan Donato. Actually, I'm interested in Ryan Donato. He was traded to the Sharks from Minnesota for a third-round pick. He's only 24 years old, and Donato's someone who he intrigued us a couple seasons ago. He had nine points in 12 games in 2017-18 with Boston. I think he came up right at the end of the year and was really good. He also had that really exciting run when he first got traded to Minnesota in February of 2019. He had two goals and five assists in his first four games and then slowed down a bit to end the year. And then last year, didn't really do much. Only a 30-point pace with the Wild, but he was only playing like 10 minutes and 38 seconds a night, so it's kind of hard to judge. And I guess, Brian, you talked about with Galchenyuk, like, did he not get the deployment because he wasn't performing or vice versa? And so obviously, like, Donato's going to have to earn more than 10 minutes and 38 seconds a night. But again, San Jose is not the deepest team. So I feel like potentially he could. Like, if you look at the top six, I feel like there's one open spot there that I don't see why Donato can't challenge for. Like, you've got Couture, Kane, Meyer, Hurdle, and LeBanc. And LeBanc actually played on the third line a bit last year. But assuming LeBanc gets in the top six, that still leaves one open spot for, like, who? I don't know. Maybe Ryan Donato. The only other name that really jumps out at me for next year is Noah Gregor, who's a guy who saw a bump in ice time right at the end of last year. And he was playing on a line with uh, Vander Kane. And so I could see him taking that spot. By the way, Matthew and I picked Noah Gregor pretty late in our Dynasty League uh, prospects draft. And he also hits a lot. So uh, watch out for Noah Gregor, by the way, if you want a really deep bangers. We had a question in the chat here, actually, from Kai Pai asking for top 10 banger leagues. So I definitely wouldn't put Noah Gregor at the top of your bangers league. Maybe someone to look at at the end, especially if he takes that top six spot. But if not, and Ryan Donato takes it, I think Donato has a decent upside. So a name I definitely wanted to bring up. Yeah, there's this upside with Donato that he's never really been able to deliver on. And every time we think he's about to get a bump in deployment, he actually loses some. In Boston, uh, after he started with nine points in 12 games in his first taste of the NHL back in 17-18 as a 21-year-old, he uh, like went nowhere from there. And we were excited. like We liked what was in his underlying numbers. And then when he went to Minnesota in the trade for Charlie Coyle, it was like, okay, here we go. Um, but then uh, he was, and he actually had a really great start in Minnesota, 16 points in 22 games. So again, it's like, okay, Ryan Donato, here we go, age 23, 2019, 20. And then he plays less than 11 minutes a night, just 23 points in 62 games. So he's had these two moments where he has all this momentum and then just can't build on it and actually goes several steps backwards. And it raised my eyebrow that he was traded uh, to San Jose for only a third round pick. So like, to me, that just shows where 
not to say that hockey minds and general managers are always accurate at how to value players, but it does make me, like I said, raise my eyebrow a little and say, okay, exactly what kind of NHLer is Ryan Donato at this point? Uh, Elon, I agree there is opportunity in San Jose, so I'm excited to see him get it. I'm excited to see him have a great 15 games and then uh, maybe disappear. That would be the pattern, but maybe just maybe he can stay relevant the whole rest of the way. He's sort of like a, he's a pretty deep cut, someone who you might want to take a chance on for like the first week of the season, if your roster is deep enough to fit him. And then you mentioned Cody Cece, who uh, I have nothing to add on, but I will mention someone not on your list going to Nashville is Mark Borowiecki. And I'm uh, like, I assume he's not going to change his game, right? Like he's just been like, number one hitter, throwing hits all over the place, always, and someone who can alone win you weeks in the hits category. But I, uh, I'm i curious. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I think anything's going to change, but I'm, I'm going to watch to see if his hits count goes down because uh, Nashville might have the puck, although they're not a whole, they're not very, they're not really that good at this point, but they might have the puck a little more often than Ottawa did, or they might have a system Hmm. where throwing hits just does not make as much sense as it did in Ottawa. I'm surprised what you said about Nashville there. They're good. You were like upset that they lost to Arizona and you were saying how like, oh, the worst team uh, didn't win. Anyway, I think Nashville's good. I think for sure Borowiecki will get fewer hits. Well, not for sure, but I think he would get fewer hits just because I think Nashville's trying to win games. And I feel like with Ottawa, I don't know, Borowiecki just like intimidates people or something with all those hits i guess we'll see yeah he's a name nashville has a good top end but they they thin out pretty quick they've got good defense uh yeah they do home ellis yosey it's not as good as it used to be but yeah their top three might be one of the best top three defensemen cores in the league yeah, they had a really good defensive forward in Nick Benino, but they traded him for <laughs> Luke Coonan. And actually, that's who I was going to bring up next. Wow. Uh, I don't think there's much fantasy relevance here. I think the main fantasy relevance is just that uh, Minnesota, they got rid of all their centers. And <laughs> so I thought at one point it looked like Luke Coonan could potentially threaten to be at the top line center. But he's gone now and Nick Benino doesn't strike me. He's a good defensive player. But I don't see him as a top line center. So if anything, now we've just opened up another spot. I'm starting to just think that it's going to be Marcus... Uh, Johansson centering Kevin Fiala next year. Like, I know we talked about when that stall for Johansson trade happened that we were like, oh, like, Johansson's not even that good at center. He's not good at winning faceoffs. But, like, he probably still will center the top line, at least to start the year. Like, obviously, Marco Rossi, we expect will get there eventually. And they have Joel Erickson Eck. If I had to bet right now, I think uh, Marcus Johansson is maybe someone to look at. Uh, maybe drafting next year if he's going to play. If he plays with Fiala and Kaprizov, I don't care who's there. This is like an Ottawa situation, right? Playing with Kachuk and Dadanov. Whoever's centering that line could just have some value because of the great players he's playing with. And, and Johansson's not nothing. Like, he's had decent offensive seasons in the past. He didn't do so well in Buffalo, but he was on Buffalo's second line playing with Jeff Skinner, who's not good anymore for some reason. So, yeah. I don't know. No real fantasy impact for me there in the Benino for Kunin trade. Cause it starts making me think that maybe Johansson is actually going to be something next year. Oh, man. Like, starts. You've been thinking this ever since he was traded to Minnesota. And, like, it actually just increases my concern that he is going to be asked to play center uh, now that Minnesota, well, I guess it wasn't likely to be Luke Kunin anyway. Um, and they I have just Benino. Yeah. 
So you're not saying that you like Bonino more now. Like, you you finished by saying you like Johansson more. Yeah, no, Bonino, I don't think, is centering the top line. I, th- I think they brought Bonino in to do yeah. what he does best. He's a middle six. Like he'll I play just some don't get why. Yeah. I, I guess I'm missing the part where this makes you more excited for Marcus Johansson. Well, because I thought Luke Kunin could be a top line center, potentially. Oh, yeah. So I guess I never did. And I made this point to you. You have this unreasonable optimism about... Uh, anybody, I guess, playing with Fiala and Parise. I guess unreasonable is not the right word, but like Marcus Johansson, we've had this conversation ever since he was traded. Um, Like, He's not a centerman. Like, it's it's not a good position for him. Well, someone him. has to do it. Someone has to yeah, center that right. line. So if he does it and he sucks at it, then it doesn't mean he's going to do well. You're, you're hoping for an Anisimov type effect here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, not not too exciting, right? I'm not drafting him, but it's someone to watch. Like, I think Fiala's really good. And actually, you said Parise. I'm talking about Kaprizov as the one I'm really excited about to potentially be the other one. But Parise, you're right. We shouldn't forget about Parise still being around. Uh, okay, last in the lightning round. I don't think there's any impact here. Chris Tanev, Dominic Simone, and Josh Levo, all signed by the Flames. And uh, you said on the Patreon cast you like Dominic Simone. And I kind of like my eyes. I like Dominic's who played in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like, I don't know, Crosby said he liked uh, Dominic Simone. He liked playing with him. So I guess you're in good company. Yeah, if he's good enough for Crosby, who are you to say he's not good enough for you? Sheesh. Yeah. But he's not on my uh, watch list for next year in Calgary. I'm more into, like, interested in, like, a Dylan Dubé or a Mangiapane to, you know, be exciting yeah. in terms of the forwards. Yeah. So I guess if you're trying to figure out, like, who takes that six, there's only one spot available in the top six in Calgary. It's likely Mangiapane's. I think Simone is, and Dubé are going to be, like, on the third line. Um, and could be okay there. They would both need an injury, though, to really get an opportunity. So I'm not excited about either one of them. But I do think Simone, um, just like is a general hockey signing, not necessarily fantasy signing, but that was a a nice depth add at a cheap price. So way to go, Calgary. Yeah, not a bad summer, right? I guess it depends. Chris Tanev wasn't so cheap. And I know you like him. I, I listened to Steve Laidlaw. Or maybe it was uh, Dmitry Filipovich. But one of them didn't like Chris Tanev that much. So I like Chris Tanev. All right, so let's see how that goes for Calgary. Uh, and you mentioned potential injuries. Let's end the show with a few quick injury notes. We already mentioned the couple in Boston. Uh, two big ones over in Dallas. So Ben Bishop had knee surgery and isn't expected to be healthy until late March. Uh, I've always been wary about Bishop's health. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me to see that timeline extended. Maybe that's not fair. But just, like, you know me, Brian. I, you've always called me, like, a little bit too concerned about Ben Bishop's health. But uh, anyways, I'm kind of writing him off for now until further notice. Uh, so meanwhile, obviously, Anton Hudobin, who just signed a three-year $10 million deal, now becomes the starter for the first time in his career. He was already a playoff starter for the first time in his career and took the Stars to the Cup Finals. Now he's, I guess, the starting goalie going into next season. Likely will be backed up by 21-year-old high-pedigree prospect Jake Edinger. Uh, so do you, like, I'm just curious what's going to happen here. Like, do you, like, the Stars have had success going 50-50 for the most part. Bishop and Hudobin not working either of them too hard. Do you think that they stick with what worked for them, even if it means now having to give this rookie Jake Edinger like all of this extra starts or do you think they just make Hudobin a workhorse as a 34 year old for the first time in his career and hope that works out for them because like I feel like the logic says now Hudobin should be like a top tier goalie in fantasy like he's on this great defensive team he's all of a sudden going to get all these starts he's had like a 923 and a 930 save percentage his last two years but yeah I just I can't shake my uncertainty in him just like I, he's never been a true starter. He's kind of older now, and like the most ever games he's played is 41, which was a couple seasons ago. So I don't know. What, what do you think is going to happen there? I mean, I don't have any more reason to be certain that Edinger is capable of taking on NHL starts, either as a 1A or a 1B. So uh, I don't think there's, I don't think it gets you very far 
to be so bearish on Hudobin. I think you sort of have to buy in. Edinger could come in and make an impression for sure, but Hudobin is coming off just an incredible season where he carried the team to the cup finals. Uh, like he was a key, co- like they play a defensive game. And when you play the game Dallas plays, you, you need your goalie to be as good as Anton Hudobin did. Although I guess maybe that's not like they're one of the better teams at protecting their goalies, but still Hudobin was amazing. Way to go. I don't see any reason to poo poo that party that Hudobin is at least a one a. Um, so yeah, like I don't disagree. I'm concerned that he won't be good. Yeah, so he might not be. I mean, some of this answer might also be settled by how things are scheduled, as we talked about earlier in the show, um, like depending on how many games need to be played and what amount of time, the Stars might not have a, cha- a choice about who plays how many games. It might just be, okay, Hudobin, Edinger, Hudobin, Edinger. At that point, I'd be curious to see who the better goalie is. Um, I guess I don't really understand what your question is, though, beyond, like, you have to have faith in Hudobin. Like, he is the one um, with the leg up and getting more starts. Can he hold the spot? I think so. But I'm open to, like, I'm open to that not being the case, as I would yeah. be with any goalie. Like, I'm not talking more, I'm talking more not about, like, will he hold the spot? I'm just concerned. Like, I think that, okay, here's my question, or my statement. It's that uh, I think because of this Ben Bishop injury, people are going to be drafting Hudobin a lot higher than they would have otherwise. And I'm saying that, like, I still kind of feel like I would want to still just draft him where I would have drafted him otherwise. And I don't know if I want to, like, bump him up above some other starting goalies because now he's, like, going to be one of these starting goalies. And I, I don't know if I want to expect him to be, like, a 923-plus save percentage goalie, but now with, like, double the starts or, like, you know, an extra 1.5 times the starts. But we'll see. Fair. You're worried because we've never seen him. And we've, we've talked about this, and I agree. We've never seen him in this full-blown number one role before. We don't know how he can handle it. We've seen some goalies get the extra time and do worse with it. Yeah. So you have the same concern about Hudobin. Sure. I just remember going back to like when he was acquired by Carolina. This is like four or five years ago now. And it was like, okay, who do like he, he had gotten out of Boston where he was a great backup and he's now on his own, ready to spread his wings. And yeah, he fell flat. So this will be the second chance for him to establish himself as a starter. He failed the first time around. So you're right to be a little apprehensive. Yeah, like, if he falls far enough, like, great value in fantasy. But I'm not, like, reaching for him is all I'm saying. Okay, then the other injury on Dallas, Tyler Sagan. We already knew he wasn't healthy in the playoffs. Now we know why. He underwent right hip arthroscopy and labral repair on November 2nd. His timetable is five months, so he's going to be out a while. Do you see this as, like, an opportunity for some players in Dallas to step up, both in terms of, like, the, the veterans, like Ben Radulov, Pavelski, who all didn't have great, like, regular seasons offensive-wise? And then also there's up-and-comers like Gurianov and Hints. Is it, like, Sagan's hurts now all all these guys might get more opportunity or is this kind of like just bad news like now like people have lost their opportunity to play with the great Tyler Sagan and so like now just Dallas is going to score fewer goals yeah I think it's bad news I, I mean I don't necessarily know they'll score fewer goals I'm not sure how that's possible based on the way they play and exactly what Sagan was able to offer last season because of their system um, maybe it's worse for their power play like you can look at it there um, but I guess if you're looking for who's going to get the most opportunity here, I wouldn't look at someone like Goryanov. I'd be looking at someone, uh, I'd, I'd look at Pavelski for sure. And I'd look at Rupe Hintz as someone who didn't get the full weight of the opportunity we were hoping he would get last season. So those are the two names that become more interesting to me for as long as Tyler Sagan is out. But it doesn't mean that they're in a position to really explode or break out in, in a huge way. They're still playing for Dallas and Dallas still plays defensively. 
And if anything, I would think they'll play more defensively now because they've lost one of their big guns. They have to like double down. And yeah, so not great uh, for Dallas to lose Bishop and Sagan for sure, but we'll see how they can do it. Either way, you know, they're playing on like house money at this point because they just went to the cup finals. Uh, final player of the episode, another big injury, Gustav Nyquist underwent successful surgery at the start of November. So it's kind of old news, but whatever. We're talking about it now. So again, repairing a labral tear on his left shoulder. I think I also said labral for <laughs> Sagan. Uh, so yeah, Nyquist is going to need five to six months to recover and looking at the depth chart so he's a winger right on columbus would have been a top six winger i see this potentially opening up a spot for someone like uh, alexandre texier or emile bemstrom or maybe both actually to cement a top six spot next year like i'd expect the lines to be tell me if this sounds right brian i think you've got dubois and bjorkstrand say as one line domi and atkinson on another and then there's those two extra winger spots that we're still waiting to be filled by so there's like i said texier and bemstrom or you've got like felino boone jenner who could also be a center himself uh nathan gerby but, but probably i think it's between and anyways the reason why i'm especially interested in texier and bemstrom so first of all texier 21 years old ended last season playing with dubois and had a nice run eight points in his last 12 games was also getting big minutes in the playoffs he averaged 20 almost 22 minutes average time on ice in his 10 playoff games so of course some of that is inflated because of some long overtime games but still so texier already has had that opportunity and then bemstrom oh brian you're not gonna like this actually but i'm gonna bring up how he's been doing really well in europe uh to start this season i don't just like that that's great okay i thought maybe it's like i'm reaching too much or something (laughs) okay good so 17 points in 15 games now he's going to come back to columbus and i feel like why he's also 21 years old and like he definitely could take that spot like i feel like both of these guys could be guys that i'm going to consider sleepers for next year and i'm going to have i'm just making a list of sleepers brian that uh when i'm drafting just the names like i know when i'm ranking by last season points or anything like that they're not going to show up but people that i just want to keep in mind to like consider grabbing to fill out my team when i have like two three spots left to go if you want to really go deep on nashville like there are more names like you mentioned kevin stenland and cole sherwood uh cliff poo is probably too deep a cut well i mean i we don't just need to name all the players on columbus (laughs) i just wanted to say those two in particular so but where i'm going with this is that there's a lot of reasonably equally rated wingers you've also got liam liam foodie who could take nyquist spot but also like not have much of an impact because in columbus it's very much uh again defense first and you've got a pretty flat top nine situation there the thing i do like about the situation there this year is there's actually more than one centerman uh you've got dubois obviously on the top line but max domi and miku koivu filling out the rest of the top nine center depth so that's reason to be happy about any winger who lands in the top nine i mean less so if they're with koivu but sure uh it's still decent the reason to still not like it is that they're playing for Columbus and John Tortorella, and this team is not going to be a, a run-and-gun kind of team. They're not a team that's going to try and beat you 4-3. They're a team that's going to try and beat you one nothing every single night. So while these are names that are unheralded and might find themselves in a good place in the lineup, I'm just concerned about the system they're playing for. And that, for me, is a reason to, to knock them down a few points on my sleeper ranking below someone who plays in a more offensive environment cold water bucket brian (laughs) there it is (laughs) i mean atkinson and uh like bjorkstrand have had some really great stretches in dubois i don't know i feel like there's opportunities those guys are awesome and so you play with them see what happens but okay yeah uh so that's it that's the show that was a lot of fun we should just end every show by saying that's it that's the show isn't that like a famous like a tweet meme you say that that you say some something hot take and then you say that's it that's the tweet and then people are supposed to be like 
Uh, huzzah. But okay, that's the show. Hopefully people are listening at home and saying clap, clap, huzzah, uh, because I hope you like the episode. We talked about a lot of players here. We'd love to hear what you think. I feel like we get a lot of questions on Twitter and in our Facebook group and on Discord, like, you know, fantasy advice questions, which we love to answer. But if you want to just comment on anything we said on this show that you agree or disagree with, I'd love to hear it. Uh, we've got a fun episode discussion channel over on Discord. Uh, so speaking of that, uh, if you want to join our Patreon community, like, now's the time. Like, things are really heating up. And the season is hopefully going to start soon. Everyone's, we're starting to do mock drafts, like I mentioned, with some of the patrons. So why not sign up? Give it a try. You can cancel at any time. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Become a patron. Join our Discord. And, uh, you know, you're also going to be like, you know, we're just kind of starting the Discord this year. And it's going to grow to be like a huge awesome thing. So don't you want to be able to say you got in on the ground floor? So... Try it out. Oh, yeah. Also, the Keevan Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, like I said at the start of the show, uh, the deadline to sign up is coming soon, and it's not too late. And there, if you're a patron, you get you sign up as a patron right now, you've got a spot. You're going to start in Tier 5 or Tier 6, and you're going to climb all the, your way up to potentially get to Tier 1 as soon as next year if you end up winning the Fast Track, which we talked all about on the last episode. And we have more perks, even, like the Patron cast, which I mentioned. So again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I'd love for you to consider that. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been submitting their PPP projections uh uh we're gonna do a lot with these projections so if you want to get in on that uh, it's another perk of being a patron right and and if you are a patron please uh, continue to submit the forms with your projections for every player uh brian i haven't even told you about some of my ideas i have for the ppp results i have a whole Uh-oh. series it of episodes like in my head about <laughs> it's good it's good i have i have big ideas i want to milk what the patrons have given us for all it's worth <laughs> for uh, sure well they've given us some amazing amazing input thank you very much to Adam for all his 17 entries. And by the way, if you haven't started yet and you are a patron or you're about to become a patron, you can go back and fill out almost all the old forms to have your numbers included in our final rankings. Uh, again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But yes, I'm very excited to see the results and discuss them and yeah. not blame any one patron if I disagree. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's some pretty... It's fun seeing the min and max because for some players, it's, like, reasonable. And for some players, it's like, wow, someone really hates Brendan Gallagher and someone really loves Brendan Gallagher. We were seeing a range of 30 to 82 points for Gallagher next year. So it's fun to see that stuff. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Follow us also on Twitter. Give us a five-star review. I'm going to stop asking for things, okay? Let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stature, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World. Great job as always, Brian. And really looking forward to talking to you again next week. We're going to keep talking fantasy. It's very exciting. With everyone, because fantasy hockey is for everyone, including you. And you. And you too. Me? Even you. <laughs> <laughs>